Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hey, Brittany. So we have, a, I think, a, a theme that goes through many of our episodes, which is highlighting the problem with public schools, and not even just public schools, traditional uh, schools, and not really traditional, traditional in the <laughs> aspect that they followed what was called the Prussian model, that when school got really uh, almost militant in the, what was it, 18th century? No, yeah. seven, sorry, 19th century? 19th. Probably more like, yeah, 18th. Um, and schools became more about teaching kids what to think instead or how to think instead of no, no, other way. <laughs> they were teaching kids what to think instead of how they can use their critical thinking skills. So I like to provide and teach you guys about different alternatives to these schools, different ways that people learn. We talked about play-based learning. We've talked about unschooling. We've talked about, you know, the free range kids, which are all very similar. And today I want to talk about another form of learning. It's called the Montessori method. But it's called the Montessori method because it came from a woman named Ma uh, Maria Montes Montessori. And I love her name. Her full name is like like six names. I can't say them all, so I won't. But it's a very Italian name. It's very fun to say. So she started these schools called the Montessori School. And it took a, a different approach to education, especially during this time. So a little bit about her. And then Connor and I will just kind of talk about how, how we feel about this and other alternative forms of school. So Maria Montessori grew up in Italy in the 19th centuries, century, and this was a time that women, women were starting to go to school, but they weren't doing as much college as the men were. They were still, a lot of them were still homemakers and, and, and being stay-at-home moms. So Maria was really a pioneer. In fact, she was so smart and her parents were so proud of her, but her dad was very confused as to why she wanted to do all this uh, like call like she did several degrees like why she wanted to go to college he was very confused he was you know he was like why are you such a rebel why are you doing this but she was a firecracker woman so she decided to go to school to be a doctor and this was not very common at the time at all but she ended up getting interested in education and this is really interesting to me because we talked about a man named Peter Gray who got really into education after an incident with his son. It happened like with his own son where he wasn't doing well in school. And Maria's was a little bit about that too. She had a son and, and she started getting more concerned about education because I think once you have kids, you want to make sure that that they're getting the very best education and, and that they parents get a say in choosing what they get to learn. So kids learn best when they are free to to choose what they want to learn is something that Montes, uh, Maria Montessori believed. And she also would have believed that, you know, she didn't want them to sit in desks all day, which I've talked about a million times that I don't love the kids have to sit in desks all day at these public schools. So Montessori schools are really interesting because they have different activity areas where kids can just like get up and do different things whenever they feel like switching. Now, some of these things are really weird, like washboards like you can learn how to like <laughs> use washboard but here's the funny part about that is they've kept the integrity like meaning they've kept the same tradition she has so if you go to a Montessori school today sometimes they still have washboards for kids to play with and one on one hand I think it's cute like I think it's nice on the other hand it's just like that's interesting you know not a lot of computers going on there uh like button snapping was another thing they had like for for younger kids this is for much uh, littler kids but but it was nice because they got to do other things. They got to move around and, and they didn't have a teacher like you and I think of teachers. There was no teacher, you know, up by a whiteboard instructing them all on what they were learning. Instead, the teachers are more like guides, which Acton Academy, which I know, Connor, you're familiar with, is similar in that they have guides. They don't call them teachers, right? That's what, at least to my understanding. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yep. yep. So that's how Montessori schools do it. The the teachers just kind of a, a walk around and, and see and make sure that everything is okay with the kids, but they don't interfere with their learning. There's also no grade. So you won't get like an A or a B or a C. They're just no no grades. I think you're graded on like if you have fun in the school or like emotional stability. Nice. <laughs> like there's these different criterias. Uh, but my favorite part about Montessori schools is that kids are not separated by their age because this was always so silly to me to think that children learn best when they're with kids their own age and everyone has to learn the same thing at the same time. I'm pretty sure, Connor, you and I were very different eight-year-olds. Oh, but yeah. because of the public school system, we were, in fact, you probably would have been terrified of me. I was very loud and I think you were probably a quiet kid. Am <laughs> yes. I right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, but imagine, you know, they tell people that like you and I who are different that we have to learn the exact same way and learn the same things at the same time. And not only does that not make sense for the individual, but life doesn't work that way. It's not like you get, you know, you you graduate from college if you choose to go where you get your first job and you get to suddenly just work with people your age. That's not how it works in the real world. I work with people sometimes 20 or 30 years older than me, you know, and I learned so much by getting to interact with them. And one thing that's been really hard for me to deal with as I'm getting older is now I'm working with people who are 21. Or 23. And that's that is a weird that is a weird feeling. But um, but it's it's nice that you get to work with people of all ages. But what does school do when they put us in that little box and they teach us to only work around around people our own age? I think it makes transitioning into being an adult really strange all of a sudden because you realize that you're not going to be hanging out with people your own age probably ever again. Like that's not how it works. So I really like that. And it's it's really fun to me how the school got started so I said she was having, you know, she had a son and she was concerned about his education, but she was also tasked with starting a school in a poor area of Rome. And it was with disadvantaged kids. So kids from from uh, poor backgrounds or maybe they had some uh, some learning disabilities, some small ones, but she wanted to create an environment that would make these kids love learning because she believes at your core, her belief, she's not around anymore, that kids all love learning. And I think that's true because I know as a kid, I, I didn't like sitting in a desk and having to do whatever the teacher told me. But when I was left on my own, I wanted to read. We had encyclopedias. That was the old Google. We had like, I think every family did. Did your family oh, have yeah. like that set oh, of encyclopedias? Of yep. I would do that. Sometimes I would read the dictionary just because I thought words were fun. I love words. So things like that were like when I wasn't being told to do something, I would do it. In fact, I hated being assigned to read books. And so without fail, if a book was assigned to me, I like wouldn't read it out of principle because I didn't want to. Mm. And then when I graduated high school and I started reading all these books in my spare time, I read a lot of the books that were assigned to me. And they were great books. I just didn't want to read it because someone told me I had to read it. And maybe I'm a little right. bit defiant, <laughs> but but it, it was funny to me. I'm like, this book would have been great if I you know, had wanted to read it on my own. So she believed that kids naturally love to learn. And I, and I agree with that. I think that's exactly correct. So her school started becoming like more popular, which was interesting because, again, it wasn't for well-to-do families. It wasn't for even just like regular people. It was for disadvantaged yeah. kids. But they started calling her students miracle children because they were like able to focus so much. And they were uh, they called it spontaneous self-discipline, which I really love because we've talked about spontaneous order in here. Um, but these kids were were they were able to self regulate because they had to with their with their learning right they were in charge of it so they had to direct that 
So she believes students needed activities to help them understand themselves and to find their place in this world. And I like that too, because we've talked a lot about with economics, you know, specialization and division of labor. And that comes through trying different things. So, you know, as you learn more skills and you try different things, you can say like, oh, I'm really good at this. Maybe this is what my purpose is. For me, that was writing in school. Where I was like, I really like writing. This is what I want to do. Uh, another thing, Connor, I think you'll really like is she was really big on wanting to teach her students about peace because mm-hmm. she lived through some horrible right. wars. Right. And so that was just terrifying to her, the thought of it. So she was very big on that. And then finally, um, her schools came to America and people loved them. They loved them so much. And so it, they went through this big growth spurt here. Um, And then actually it calmed down for a little bit. There was like an era where people didn't like it. And then there there was a bunch of controversy because in Europe, this was for kids that didn't have access to a lot of education opportunities. But then it came to America and it became a very elitist thing where you had to have money to go to the schools. And so there was a bunch of, you know, there was a bunch of back and forth there. Um, This one thing is really interesting before we kind of discuss the methods, but uh, China actually likes Montessori schools which made me think, wait, is this a good thing? <laughs> but um, but one thing that China, you know, is really big on is like having the most educated kids. And I don't think they do it the right way or anything. But I thought that was really interesting because this doesn't seem like a school that would be really compatible with a very authoritarian uh, society. Well, it's interesting, Brittany, that you mentioned that because I one, one thing I know about uh, Montessori, her, her full name, you know, that you alluded to. Maria Tecla Artemisia Montessori. You can like imagine someone like holding their fingers up in the air as they say that. And uh, one of the things that was interesting about her is that she wasn't that great about business. She like the mm. business operating her school and, you know, contracts with people and the books she would write and the royalties. And so she struggled with kind of the business side. She was really focused on helping kids. And so from a from kind of a business perspective, she was open to working with all kinds of people. And one of the people that she worked with in 1923, keep in mind that she's in Italy, right, was the fascist dictator uh, Mussolini. And uh, and so, you know, in Italy, they've, they've got this, you know, fascist party and uh, exerting all this control. And and today people use I think we've done an episode about fascism, haven't we, before, Brittany? Yes, we have. OK, so we'll let's link to that on today's show notes if you need a refresher on on fascism. So go to tuttletwins.com slash podcast and you can uh, find it in the show notes but um today the word fascism is like thrown out you know thrown around all the time and people don't really in in fact funny little aside someone on social media a critic of ours just uh, yesterday at the time we're recording this called the tuttle twins books fascist propaganda (laughs) (laughs) i'm like you have no listen to the fascist episode clearly exactly so anyways, uh, here's Mussolini, like the fascist and, and this like collusion of like Mussolini has this quote. He's, he I'll butcher it, but he says everything uh, by the state, in the state and for the state to him. He didn't support individualism. He didn't want freedom. It was all about the state. In other words, the government, like everything done through the government. That's basically fascism. So Montessori is approached by. Mussolini he wanted to meet she was one of the most famous Italians in the world because this this method had been taking off uh, as you pointed out people saw this as like a miracle that kids were learning so much and so Mussolini meets with Montessori and after this he says you know what we're going to change all of Italian schools to follow Montessori's method and so he creates this agency this like government agency deal called Opera Montessori 
And he even puts his own money apparently in, into this effort. And so the idea was, hey, let's go change schools and let's uh, expand this Montessori method. But a lot of the fascists within like the government um, really did not like the Montessori model. And, and so they undermined it and they, they made it difficult for this, this program to move forward. Why? Well, it's because these fascists recognized that Montessori's method involved a respect for children's autonomy. In other words, mm -hmm. their like self independence. Uh, yeah, yeah, their agency, their ability to kind of control themselves. Montessori, like her big idea, if you were to boil it down, is that kids are largely capable of teaching themselves if you know they have freedom, if they have like a, a nice, good environment in which to learn and grow. And an adult who's willing to like step back and observe, not a teacher, as you pointed out, not someone to be like, I'm the authority figure, come listen to me, right? But a caring and competent adult, a good environment, but then give kids freedom to learn what they want. So no wonder the fascists didn't like this because that's a, that's a breeding ground for like entrepreneurs and freedom lovers, not this Prussian model of, you know, do what you're told, follow authority, raise your hand if you want to go to the bathroom. And, uh, and so I like that aspect. So unfortunately Montessori, you know, was working with the fascists in her country because she had this very open nature of like working with all kinds of people. It ultimately didn't end up really working out well. And then she ended up fleeing Italy, uh, to India, uh, during world war two or, you know, as world war two, uh, continued to just write out the war. And, and so she, she moved to India until things cooled off and the war ended. But um, but it shows, I think, that even though she wasn't political, like, in, in fact, she she said that politics doesn't interest me is what she said. She said if she was interested in any political party, it was the, quote, children's party. <laughs> uh, she was really focused on um, on just helping kids. And so even though um, it is, I think there was a fascist in Italy who once complained about her that she had a, quote, libertarian view of children. <laughs> How dare she? Yeah, right. Uh, or we might call it an anti-fascist view of, of children. And so I, I like that her model and so much of this because it does recognize that kids, that humans, frankly, you know, young little humans have these innate desires within them and abilities. And, and our, our purpose, like, like government schools today, they see themselves as, oh, Kids are a blank slate. They don't know anything. So we need to imprint upon them everything they need to know. And we need to like put them in this mold and, and shape them the way they need to be shaped. That's like the modern view of education. Well, Montessori's method, like I think any good method, is that these kids have you know innate interests and desires and budding skills that can be cultivated that our purpose is to draw out of them what's already there whether you believe that's put there by God or nature or whatever, that, that the education process is about helping those kids identify and discover who they are, what their talents are, their purpose, their, their goals, their abilities. And, and that's so different than like the public school, like thumping on you, you know, you must learn all these things in this way, sit in the chair. So Montessori's methods, I think rightly are seen by many in America as not, maybe not elitist uh, anymore, but like, like ideal perhaps because it, it helps produce kids who are more confident in themselves. They're more competent because we're honoring their individuality. We're, we're allowing them to explore a little bit. We're giving them some freedom and, and we as humans thrive when we have freedom. And so 
really cool stuff. We will link to um, some stuff about Maria Montessori on the show notes page, along with that episode of fascism. So make sure you head to tuttletwins.com slash podcast. Check out the show notes page. Thanks as always for being subscribed. Share the podcast with a friend. Keep listening as a family. Have those amazing discussions that we want you to have. Until next time, Brittany, thank you. And we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.